0: the quantum mechanics
1: yes we are the quantum mechanics the paranormal podcast for the believers the doubters and everyone in
0: between we're back summer's over peter's back from his travels yes i know it's um well i guess we haven't been away in terms of the podcast episodes but yes we have been away a couple of weeks without recording so it's going to be interesting we'll see if we're rusty or reinvigorated it was like being on summer holidays it really was, wasn't it? And I, well, I was literally on summer holidays. I was in the south of France. I have to say, Ben, the weather there was uh, Dante's Inferno <laughs> on on the uh, demon scale. Infinite it was demons. So hot. It was like thirty-seven degrees. It was crazy. We had some thunderstorms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, today it's now autumn. It's not summer anymore. So. Yeah. yeah. No, it
1: isn't. It isn't. It's uh, it's Halloween next month. Yeah. <laughs> As I was driving over, I was thinking, oh, it's that time of year ago where we need to come up with a Halloween
0: episode. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah, we'll have to start thinking about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We always do that. you know, it should be our biggest time of the year, right? And we always get to the week before Halloween and one of us goes... Halloween next week we need to do something it's always last minute (laughs) yes no meticulous planning where the quantum mechanics are concerned
1: well um, hopefully we'll we're doing a location record in a couple of weeks that's taken some meticulous planning
0: yeah well maybe we could um, we could put that out on Halloween maybe that'd be an idea
1: yeah 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 well with any like James from the Lawmen will be with us so um, we might have we might have some stuff that we can put out we can all put out yeah
0: lovely great
1: um, and just before we get into the episode, Ellen and Ket, our new Patreons, uh, Patrons, Patrons, I never know how you say it. I'm going to say Patrons.
0: I always say Patrons.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's correct, but thank you so much for joining us. It
0: makes, as ever, a huge, huge, huge difference. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's amazing. We really, really appreciate it. Um, and if anyone else there wants to join us with the Patreon program, what we do tend to do is put the episodes out a little bit early for patreons and we do little news and basic updates during the week as well so if you fancy a bit of that go to patreon.com forward slash tqm pod and check it out Absolutely. Oh,
1: and also, if you would uh, like to leave a review, somebody gave us a lovely review oh. on Wednesday. Thank you so much. It um, it made coming back to school all the more worth
0: it. Yeah, it really did, really did. It was a lovely review. Thank you very much for that. Every, and everyone who continues to do that, it really does warm our hearts. Thank you.
1: And the algorithms.
0: And the, it warms our hearts and the algorithms. <laughs> yes. I love
1: that.
0: <laughs> well, Ben, being away on holiday gave me the perfect opportunity to catch up on some reading Um, and it gave me time to digest a book I've really wanted to read for a while after someone recommended it to me so my plan wasn't necessarily to do it for the episode but I thought I'll just read it on holiday and see where we go and it's incredible and it is really worth checking out the book is called it's the one I'm going to talk about today the book is called Haunted the Incredible True Story of a Canadian Family's Experience Living in a Haunted House. I mean, not the not the snappiest of titles, but it does what it says. <laughs>
1: in the they never are in the paranormal <laughs> universe. Yeah. They never are. Let me tell you, I've got some scientific papers for you next week. Some of the titles are as long as the actual blooming... <laughs> thing (laughs) but this is
0: exciting so um what is this a new book out or has it been out for a while it's been out for a a couple of years but somebody recommended it because I was like oh I really want to do um or want to read a good haunted house story while I'm away on holiday and somebody said oh there's a really good true one from Canada that's worth a read so I thought yeah as usual with these things I thought well I'll just feature it as a little story in a bigger episode but there's so much in it that I'm going to stick with the one book it's so good Um, So, yeah, Haunted, the incredible true story of a Canadian family's experience living in a haunted house. It's written by Dora L. Williams. Um, And as the title suggests, it is the true story of one family who bought a Victorian-style family home and their experience of living in the property they soon found was plagued with paranormal activity.
1: Exciting.
0: Now, spoiler alert, if you are reading this book or plan to read it, we are going to talk about some of the themes in it. So uh, up to you. We're just letting you know we're going to cover some of the stuff in the book if you are reading it. Um, The book really struck me for a number of reasons, but the two main reasons. One, the level and variation of activity the family encountered in this house and secondly, the fact the book is a first-person account written by the mother of the family that lived in the house itself. So it's not somebody kind of featuring the case. It comes from the people who actually lived in the home. So, um,
1: yeah, because quite often it's like the family don't want to talk about it and in comes somebody to try and get to the truth. Yeah. And I put that in air quotes, yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, the book deliberately doesn't give the location of the house other than telling us that it's in a small town in canada i think that's done to protect the occupants of the property which makes sense uh, and with that in mind names have been changed to protect people's identities but it did is, they change the name of the ghost yeah <laughs> to mr claypole
1: <laughs> oh target oh, audience old, old ref old ref <laughs>
0: Now, weirdly, this true story starts almost like a horror movie, like the tropes from a horror movie. So its family end up buying a Victorian era house for a surprisingly low price, (laughs) and the property has been unexplainably on the market for some time. Oh, how inexplicable (laughs) is that? Yeah. We've had that a few times, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know it's illegal to sell a known haunted house in America. I wonder if that's the same in Canada. Yeah, I wonder, because you have to put a little sign up, don't you? Yeah, yeah, you have to declare it, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it was Yes, it was proved in a court case where um, somebody claimed that they would have t- got it cheaper had they known it was haunted, and the judge agreed and some money had to be refunded.
0: Well, well this family got it for a song, but they didn't know it was haunted. What's really interesting is that the family, the mum, the dad, and there's three kids... They weren't even looking to buy a house and it seems they bought it on a whim or a compulsion. So let's talk about that a little bit because that's kind of the start of the book. So the family had not long bought their existing home and they'd previously owned Victorian properties and they basically became fed up with the amount of work and upkeep so they bought a more modern home so they didn't have to bother with that. So literally, they were living in a house that they just bought. But... They were driving around the neighbourhood where they live and they saw this Victorian-era house was having an open viewing day. Not something we really do in Britain, is it, that?
1: No, not... I mean, I have seen it in... You know those ones that they advertise in Savils that have got 42 bedrooms, right, at the stables? Right. I think sometimes I've seen it there, but no, for your average um, Joe buying, you know, a four-bedroom family house, um, not, not, not so much. Game. No, no. Yeah.
0: Well, the husband in this story, Ted, they're driving around. They see that this thing's having an open viewing day. Ted suddenly stops the car and just says, shall we have a look? Now, his wife, Dora, was not particularly keen. Like I said, they were not looking for a house. And it was Canada, right? In winter, the weather was absolutely freezing. And she didn't want to basically to go and have a look at the house. sounds weird to us here. But even just parking up outside, the mother was like, I'm going to have to put all the kids in their snowsuits. We're all going to have to get wrapped up warm, and then we're going to have to walk into this house to have a look around. So she thought it was pointless to go and have a look at it, but the husband just said, oh, come on, let's go and have a look. They basically joined the other people walking around for this open viewing. And what's really interesting, Ben, and we may come onto it in a little while in a bit more detail, their reluctance almost instantly turned into kind of obsession and compulsion now remember they had only moved house within the last two years they'd brought this new house because they didn't want the hassle and the upkeep of this of an old kind of victorian style property and this house was an old victorian property that seemed to have been empty for a number of years and it just needed extensive repairs and work the other thing it was also smaller than the house that they currently owned which is just so weird. But was it in a more convenient location? No, no. It pretty much, a few blocks away from the house that they owned already. Wow. Now, reading the mother's account in the book, they they kind of almost instantly fell in love with the place and had a compulsion to own it. And then, after a second private viewing, they considered the incredibly low price uh, that the current owners were asking for, and they just put in an offer. So Dora says. It would later seem incredible to us that we even considered such a move at that point in our lives. Everyone we knew thought we had lost our minds and didn't hesitate to tell us so. Why would we want to move into an old money pit? So Ben, when I was reading, this isn't in the book, but it, it struck me when I was reading these opening sections and it was a theme that I kept thinking about throughout the book. It reminded me of something we talked about in the last episode we recorded, it felt like the house itself had glamoured them. (laughs) Right. And it is a theme that continues throughout the book. So I'm going to come back to it. The book doesn't kind of make any deal of this, but I was thinking it throughout reading it, and you'll, you'll see why when I get to it. Firstly, this fact that they didn't want to buy a house. They definitely didn't want to buy an old Victorian house. They definitely didn't want to buy an old Victorian house, That was smaller than the house that they already lived in, but they ended up putting an offer in on this place. Well, their offer was accepted. Uh, They sold their current property, and then they moved into this Victorian house. (laughs) The description of the house, Ben, also has a lot of horror movie-type tropes. You'll love this. There is a doorway in one of the bedrooms that leads to an attic which has been boarded up and the room has been locked off. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean, uh, no. (laughs) And it's the only room in the whole house that has that. Another bit of a trope, their dog, who in their old house would generally sleep in a bedroom with either the children or the mum and dad, blatantly refused to go upstairs, full stop.
1: Right, okay. It's time to leave. Yeah.
0: Uh, And one of the first strange encounters they had happened pretty much as soon as they moved in. So Dora, the mum, had hired cleaners to thoroughly clean the property and she'd expect- inspected the work closely, she was happy. But she says, in her words, when Cammie, who's their younger daughter, came in, she was greeted by a lucky sign. She found coins lying in the middle of the floor and on the sills and countertops and she went around the rooms picking them up. When the other children realised what Cammy was doing, they too joined in the treasure hunt. I was surprised at the number of coins they collected. Dor insists these coins were not there after she had just inspected the house. Coins seem to come up quite
1: a lot in haunted houses. Yeah,
0: yeah, and this kind of, this sudden appearance of them. And as, mm. we, as we run through the story, there is... There's so much phenomena in this that, you know, there's just a little bit of everything. But the next thing they noticed were strange sounds and smells. Again, we've had this before. Mm. All members of the family heard footsteps running up and down the stairs, often when there was only one of them in the house. Right. Yeah. Uh, They all smelled the scent of baking bread and cookies being cooked.
1: Oh, so it is nice smells.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But no one no one was baking, but they often smelled that. And I started to think about Glamoured again. Mm. You know what I mean? These lovely smells coming through the house, bread, coins being put out. It's, it, it almost felt a bit, again, the book doesn't go into this, but it always felt as if the the house was trying to make everyone kind of, I don't know, at home or settle in. So the family thought these things were strange, but they didn't seem scared by them, almost immediately accepting them as a quirk of the house. Dora describes just getting used to the sound of footsteps running up and down the stairs and just ignoring it. But it did make Dora do some research on the history of the property. Now, she did a lot of research and goes into detail in the book. But just to summarise, so, you know, this is a real kind of whistle-stop tour of what she says. Again, very tropey. The house had multiple occupants over the years, many only staying for a few months before moving out. The majority of people who lived in the house were out of towners. The owners who had the property for longer periods would rent it out rather than live there themselves. And again, the turnover of renters was extremely high. Now, Dora looked into whether there was a history of hauntings, unusual events or tragedies connected with the property, but she found nothing. She did quite a lot of research, you know, the the kind of classic thing, going back through newspaper archives and looking through reels of film, and the whole, she really got into it. So after a few weeks, the family experienced its first apparition. Now, the family's youngest child, who was preschool age, she came running into the house from the yard saying, there's a pretty girl in my bedroom. I saw her. She was standing at the window in my bedroom, and she waved at me eek yeah rosa would mention seeing the girl on multiple occasions over the next few months now i guess it's easy to write off these sightings as a young child's vivid imagination and the kind of mother did she was kind of understanding saying you know i'm sure you saw something but i think deep down she just thought oh it's a kid kind of fantasizing she just changed that but then the mother herself dora had her own encounter Now, this starts by seeing, when I read the description, to be like a shadow person. But the apparition became clearer. Dora describes this apparition as an extremely tall woman wearing a cape, this is spooky, floating several inches above the floor. (laughs) Oh, oh, no. So there is some debate whether this kind of entity looks like a nurse or a nun. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, they never go into detail that. Now, what's interesting about this counter encounter is the mixture of detail and lack of detail she, she describes. Let me just explain that. So the apparition was wearing some kind of hat, like I said, like an old nurse's cap. That's what Dora thought, or possibly a nun's habit. She described seeing each strand of hair and the old-style clothing, but there was no face. It was just a dark void. Oh.
1: That i That's the description I hate the most.
0: Yeah, really scary, right? <laughs> Unsurprisingly, this encounter makes Dora wonder if they should sell their house. And <laughs> <laughs> Yes, probably yes. And then we get back to this theme that I picked up on about the glamours. So a few days after this, Dora is lying awake in bed. She's got her eyes closed and she feels something pat her hand. She describes it as like a comforting way. And she says that the next day she woke up with a feeling of peacefulness and all thoughts of selling the house had gone. She's being manipulated. It sounds like it, doesn't Ooh. it? Yeah. So rather than sell the house, they started some their renovation and building work. They built an extension, put in a shed in the backyard. Now, during this work, the builders and the children start unearthing some strange buried objects. Uh, again I won't. there's a lot of detail about this but basically they find an old jar with an antique button in it they find an old inkwell and this large piece of quartz rock which is covered in initially what they think is gold but actually it turns out to be fool's gold and during the period of the, the construction work and the renovation the paranormal activity in the house just ramps up another notch this is so weird fire alarms in the house start going off in the middle of the night, generally at 3am. The the smoke alarms would go off in different rooms on different nights. They tried replacing the batteries and at one point completely changed the alarm system, but they kept going off at 3am. Always 3am. Now, over a six-month period, the alarms would go off a total of 19 times between 3am and 3.10am.
1: Wow. I love the fact, I mean, of course you would go and replace the batteries, but, I mean, you must do it with a sense of, like, this probably isn't going to work. I mean, it's obvious what's going on, isn't it? Yeah, you think so, but, I, again,
0: this is where this kind of glamourness comes in.
1: Right, yeah. That, that, well, actually, yeah, the touch of the hand, that was, uh, yeah, re-glamourising, yes. Yeah,
0: yes. yeah. And, uh, and, again, this is not something the book suggests it's just something I thought about while I was reading it so I could be completely off kilter with it but and maybe it was because we had discussed it the week before but that struck me all the way through reading this book um, and yeah they just kind of accepted this it became a kind of normal Dora describes feelings of relief when a night would go by without the alarms going off and one night after one of the alarms had gone off, there's some Matt called out to his mother saying there'd be a, been a lady sitting on his bed looking at him. So this Matt is the one who lives in the room now that was boarded up that has the thing to the attic. <laughs> <coughs> no. And again, so this is where the glamour might come in. You would think, like, a young boy might go, I don't want that room. It's bloody scary. But he almost insisted he wanted that room he loved it he kind of fell in love with it and you know just just wanted to be in there
1: yeah with my two friends (laughs) yeah
0: so he describes um what he describes is pretty uh, identical to the woman that Dora had seen um apart from this time so it was this tall woman apart from this time Matt was able to describe her face so it wasn't this dark void it did actually have a face There starts to be a bit of change in Dora's attitude at this point. She tries speaking to the entities in the house, warning them not to scare the children. An activity then seems to focus on their son, Matt, and his bedroom. Yep, the one with the stairs to the attic that was originally boarded up.
1: Man alive.
0: So his bedroom door keeps opening by itself and the room would suddenly become freezing cold. He would hear footsteps coming down from the attic... Oh, God. So there is a bit of time where he kind of moves out of the room and tries to stay with in his mum and dad's room. But again, he's quite keen to get back in there. They try, <laughs> They try putting the dog in with Matt and the pooch was really having none of it. <laughs> it didn't want to go in there. And they kind of almost closed the dog in with Matt and they had to let it out because it was just scratching at the door to get out.
1: If that happens, just leave. I mean, the dog knows, obviously.
0: Yeah, the dog's got some sense of what's going on. Now, remember, this is a dog that would quite happily sleep with either the kids or the mum and dad in their old property. But basically, he confines himself to downstairs now. So it feels like this How then it felt like the house got into its own kind of pattern. So they described that during the day, things would be completely normal, but then as soon as everyone would asleep, things would kick off. Uh, the house then starts to have major electrical problems. So all of the kids have got these lamps. They start randomly flickering on and off. Now, I say randomly, uh, Dora, in conversation with a friend, describes the pattern, and the friend believes it's, actu- it's actually Morse code that it's blinking out s o s is that was was that real or do they just imagine that no that that so Dorix goes oh it, it it follows this pattern it's like i can't remember what s o s is but it's like dot dot dash dash dot dot mm-hmm. so she described or she i think she describes her friend like there's one quick flash and then there's a longer one and the friend goes well i know morse code that's s o s oh i see This is also incredibly spooky. The kids have these musical snow globes and jewellery boxes. I think you can see what's coming. Uh, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) They start randomly playing out their tunes in the middle of the night, including, I found this (laughs) through my hairs at the back of my neck when they described this. One of them (laughs) plays away in a manger. (laughs) Uh uh can you imagine because you know those you know those little music box sounds with the yeah, yeah. way in the major at 3 3 a.m. just got off oh my god
1: No no no
0: <laughs> Objects would go missing then reappear in random places Uh oh this is freaky as well Their daughter Cammy describes her doll moving its arms and legs on its own <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Why I, I mean I know we've tried to explain that in the past but what is it about dolls? It's just a piece of plastic that's shaped like a human. Why does it? Oh, I yeah. don't know. You, you know what I'm going to say. is like they're either messing or something. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess if you're going from a non-skeptical, non-skeptical point of view, you might go, it looks like a human form. So if you're going to possess something, why not a doll? Yeah. I guess. But I, guess. I don't know. Well, after talking with a friend, Dora, who I don't think was overly religious, but had some religious belief, she decides to put up crosses in the house and pictures of angels in the kids' bedrooms. Uh, Dora also consults a medium after doing some research online. So she, she again, not a big fan of the paranormal, but she started going online and going, Why, who can I talk to to help me? Um, and there is some debate about whether at this point There's a big debate in the book about whether the apparitions were residual haunting, so some kind of stone tape theory, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. rather than full apparitions. Um, Dora's not so sure about that, and any doubt that she had um, was laid to rest after she started to interact with the entities in some strange ways, which I'm going to go into. It starts with Dora putting up a picture in her husband's bedroom in her and her husband's bedroom i should say now she misplaces the nail she was like she kind of got the picture out she got a nail she got a hammer can't find the nail and then suddenly a different nail materializes
1: a different one
0: yeah this one is unlike the new nail she had intended to use this one was old long and rusty (laughs) Hmm. she describes it as just appearing in front of her eyes freaky
1: yeah that's um we've heard of object replacement and object sort of um apportation but you don't often get to see it it's normally like lands in front of you or yeah you you discover it on the floor but she actually sees it appear
0: well she says materialized in front of her eyes i guess that word could be doing some heavy lifting you know Mm. you could maybe describe it that way if you kind of look away and look back and it's there rather than see it kind of you know know what I mean almost teleport into existence I'm I'm cloudy as to whether it's which one of those it is whether it just suddenly appears and she hadn't noticed it or she saw it almost like the TARDIS appearing in Doctor Who I'm not sure Mm -hmm. okay then a ghostly young boy starts materializing Now, this entity's behaviour, Ben, is a bit more poltergeist-like to me. It runs around the house, it makes noises, it hides objects in strange places. And again, I had this feeling of them being glamoured, because Dora says, I found nothing terrifying or threatening about him. He was apparently only the spirit of a child who was no longer alive. (laughs) So, But they see him physically? They see him, yeah. Different members of the family. Right, okay. Now, there is a weird bit where Dora believes this ghostly child starts playing around with their stereo system. This is quite weird. She said the the stereo suddenly turned itself on by itself and randomly started playing a compilation CD that they had in the stereo. It started playing track 11, which happened to be Spirit in the Sky. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that is weird. That's very, again, very poltergeisty, isn't it? It's very poltergeisty, yeah.
1: And also gives us a time frame of when this happened, like about 1987,
0: I'm thinking. Yeah, so because it doesn't actually give a date, but there's internet of some level. Oh, yeah. is
1: there? Oh, right, so it's 90s then. Probably. Yeah,
0: and there's CD players, so yeah, I think it's got to be 90s. Now, it's fair to say, up until this point, most of the activity had centred around Dora and the children, with the husband, Ted, kind of acknowledging that weird things were happening but always trying to find a logical explanation for what was going on. So he was kind of going, yes, some weird stuff's happening, but there's got to be a logical explanation. So he's not really buying into all this paranormal stuff at this point. For Dora and the kids, they had gone from initially being freaked out to either accepting what was happening, and at times it felt even finding some enjoyment in it. So, you know, things appearing, disappearing... (laughs) certain bits of the book made me think about the scene in Poltergeist, the original movie, you know, where the mother and daughter are playing with the poltergeist and being propelled mm. across the kitchen floor and come and have a look at this, it's amazing, it's amazing. Yeah. There are bits in the book that are a bit like that, do you know what I mean, where they seem to be enjoying what's going on. But things start to change for Dora after an incident in the middle of the night. She wakes up to see a young ghostly girl standing on the other side of the bed, that's just staring at her husband, Ted. The girl was wearing old, possibly Victorian clothing. This bit really struck me in the book and it really started making me thinking there's a wonderful description of, apart from this thing being a shocking sight, there's something else that really struck me. Dora describes how she'd seen images of people in Victorian dress in grainy black and white photos, how she'd seen these kind of translucent images of ghosts as well. But she said this apparition was in bright, vivid colour. And she describes it, was in my mind, as almost being like ultra high definition because she can see every detail of the hair and everything and there's blonde hair and the colours of the clothing. Um, I thought that was incredibly powerful it really struck with me because you again victorian era you don't really see it in color unless you're kind of seeing a movie recreation and ghosts you don't think a ghost like this this thing was almost hyper real
1: i i'm thinking of the library ghost in ghostbusters
0: yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah well this ghostly girl reaches out a hand to touch ted the husband's face and dora tries to wake him up uh, which this apparition does not appreciate one bit oh Dora describes the look the ghost gives her. That movement, though subtle, alerted the girl to me watching her and she slowly turned and looked at me for several seconds with a blend of frustration and irritation. She was obviously unhappy that I had disturbed her. The girl's obvious irritation terrified me. The look she gave me made me feel as if I was an intruder in my own home. Maybe she is. Yeah, maybe she is. So Dora decides at this point that enough is enough and she gets back in contact with the paranormal investigator to figure out what they can do about these ghostly encounters. Um, And there's a weird bit in that as well. There's this amazing bit where she tries to compose an email to the investigator, but every time she's typing the computer keeps glitching and deleting what she's typing. And then the, computer just finally crashes altogether before she can send the email. Hmm. That sounds
1: that sounds familiar. That sounds um, you know, the, the poltergeist and ghost interfering with electrical stuff is pretty yeah, common, but to do it specifically, it's like she's rather than um just messing with the electrics. It feels like it's actually trying to
0: do something deliberate there. Yeah, trying to delete the message that she's yeah. writing saying I need some help. How am yeah. I going to deal with these ghosts? Well, a few days later, Dora does get to send the email and the paranormal investigator gives her some initial advice. Now, during this period, Dora describes activity ramping up again to a new level. She describes unusual activity now happening on a daily basis. So basically everything that we've detailed so far is basically happening all the time. Now, the paranormal investigator informs Dora that the objects that were dug up from the back garden may be creating or at least exacerbating the activity and she advises Dora to rebury them where she found them or as close to where she found them as she could because they've obviously done some building work there now. And strangely, this seems initially to work and the activity in the house settles down. And but sightings then seem to then go outside the house, so there seems to be some link between these objects. So, uh, the daughter and the mother Dora see a tall blonde woman outside the house who's obviously a ghost. Um, this figure was also seen by neighbors as well who said, Who's that strange woman in the strange clothes standing outside your house?
1: <laughs> Glowing, yeah. <laughs>
0: um, and, and it's worth pointing out at this point. They didn't talk to any neighbours about this. You know, there's, there's lots in the book about how Dora said, well, what am I going to say to them? You know what I mean? They're mm. going to think we're completely nuts. We've recently moved in and we're doing all this stuff. Now, the weird activity didn't end there. Um, but what's really interesting, this is a weird sentence I'm going to say, but it, it starts to become initiated by Dora herself, either kind of semi-deliberately or, or, or subconsciously which again made me think of Glamour, and you see what I mean by this. And this point leads to some of the weirdest activity in this remarkable story. There's a couple of things coming up which I've just never heard before. It's just amazing. So one day Dora is sitting on the porch when she gets this really strong image, almost like a retrocognition comes into her mind. She gets the image of a man sitting on the porch where she's sitting reading an old style newspaper um but in this image the porch is actually painted red it's brown at the moment but the porch is red so she decides to go to the kitchen get a knife and scrape away of the floor of the porch and she goes through layers and layers of paint in various colors until she finally scrapes off a layer that shows the porch had indeed been painted red This is the weird bit. She then has this compulsion, it's almost like a desire to read the actual paper the man in the vision was reading. To kind of explain why, but she just says this overwhelming urge to read it. So she goes around the house to see if there might be any old newspapers in the house, even though she'd explored and cleared everything out, every nook and cranny. Um, But she finds nothing. And then something incredibly bizarre happens. Dora Dora describes it herself. As we walked towards the house, a newspaper had materialised right in front of our eyes. It had not been there one moment, but was definitely there the next. The paper was spread out as though it was being read on the front lawn beside the porch stairs. When Dora and her daughter examined the newspaper, it said at the top, The Mail and Empire Toronto, Thursday august 17th 1933 isn't that amazing that is amazing wow She, she said this ancient newspaper looked brand new no signs of aging at all she describes it as being in mint antique condition she says i realized it had only been a few hours earlier that i sat at that spot and wished for that very experience now, this newspaper was not the full paper. It was just five pages. And again, she Dora gets this weird compulsion. She wishes it was the whole paper. And she then gets the urge to look under the porch. And lo and behold, she finds another mint-conditioned newspaper from the nineteen
1: thirty. This is direct communication, isn't it?
0: And there are um, pictures of these papers in the book. And the nail. There's some various pictures that are at the back of the book. So, um, yeah, worth checking those out. <clears throat> so, is there anything um,
1: standout from these newspapers, or is it just a date setting, or or is there some content?
0: Well, there is. I'll, I'll come on to that. There is some content, but they never quite get to what that is. And I'll, again, I'll come on at the end about. In some ways, that gave some credibility for me to the story. So these papers. The whole family saw and started reading these papers. Remember, these are in perfect condition, as mm. if they were printed this morning. And even the sceptical husband couldn't explain it away. Um, now, the photos that are in the book, Dora says that the paper conditions degenerated by the time the photos were taken. So that it, she said it kind of aged quickly over a period of days. But the one that was the five-pager... If you look at the photo, it still looks in incredibly amazing condition, considering it must have been, you know, 70, 80, 90, whatever years old. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um So a friend's through a friend, Dora talks with a medium who does say that there must be something important in both papers. And this medium gets this vision of you need to look on page five, you know, both papers, look on page five. So there's a whole thing where they... Because she describes, it's really interesting, she describes the amount, uh, and we've seen it with old papers, the amount of text that is on one page. Do you Mm, know what I mean? mm. It's not like now where you've got, you know, it's crammed full of stuff. Mm. So they go through everything, through the adverts to see if there's any kind of connection. Now, the only thing they can find that seems like a clue that ties these two separate papers together are stories about world war in one of the papers there's a story about world war one uh another about you know world war two but it's never really they you never really get to a conclusion of what this newspaper was trying to say or what its purpose was so it remains a bit of a mystery even after you finish reading the book
1: right right
0: um Yeah, they start asking the spirits to give them clues to the significance of the newspaper. And there's some weird flickering light that goes on, uh, which the sceptical husband writes off. One of the papers starts to degenerate, but one story is still readable, the one about (sighs) World War. Oh. So that feels like a hint. Again, I'm not sure, but that, that's what they kind of infer in the paper. Oh,
1: it's always so frustrating. It's like, if you can manifest newspapers and coins, why can't you
0: just write a short note <laughs> yeah.
1: explaining what you're trying to yeah, say? Tell us.
0: Yeah. Um, and there is another bizarre incident that happens. Um, so, so Dora is saying to her husband, look, you know, you got to believe now. And he's still being skeptical about the whole thing oh and she says to her husband what will it take to convince you i wish something else would happen specifically to you that would prove to you this is real okay (laughs) that seems like a dangerous thing to yeah and ben you're gonna like this this leads to a really bizarre Haunted beer incident. Haunted beer? Yes. So just after Dora makes this comment, Ted, her husband, opens a bottle of beer and it explodes all over his face. (laughs) We've all been there. Yeah. Ted believes this is his family playing a practical joke on him. So he gets another beer out of the fridge. Exactly the same thing happens Don't open it by your face. (laughs) Now, I guess a sceptic might say that Ted had just bought a kind of batch of badly shaken up beers, right? Yeah. But Tora goes on to say, from that day on, Ted was unable to enjoy a bottle of beer in his home. If we were drinking a bottle anywhere else, nothing unusual would occur. But he attempted to drink a beer in the house or anywhere on our property. He would be assured it would shoot right into his face. It would not erupt when the cap was removed or when he might expect it to, but only when his guard was down. Oh, that's so cool.
1: <laughs> Isn't that great? Oh, what a great way of cutting down on your drinking. <laughs> yes. I mean, I would say put it in a glass.
0: Yeah, good point.
1: I'm I'm using my microphone-friendly bottle here with a little cap. I could put it in that and have yeah. a little sip. Yeah. But, I mean, I suppose the... the we're not looking at solutions for drinking haunted beer but that is amazing but why is the ghost just trying to deliver i mean he asked for a message he's he's being delivered a message but again is that the only way like what a strange thought process i know i'm going to throw beer in his face i'm not going to like sit in front of him and like do something so astounding that he can't possibly deny it no, I'm going to throw beer in his face.
0: Well, there is a loose connection, which I'll come on to with the beer, but there's a bit where they try and tie up some of these loose ends and I'll, I'll come on to it. But for me, it was a little bit grasping at straws. So I'm, but I'll, I'll mention it in a while and you can see what you think. But in case you were wondering, Ben, there was a happy ending to the horrific paranormal beer incident. Um, I'm happy to inform you that after a couple of months, Ted finally admitted that something very weird and paranormal was happening in the house. And Dora says, and that was all it took. There was never another eruption. Oh. I thought you were gonna say like moved on to spirits or
1: something. (laughs) Like have a whiskey. Yeah. Um okay. Oh well that it did
0: its job then. Yeah, and and you've picked up on a theme. It seems like whatever was haunting the house was either trying to communicate with them or trying to help them sometimes or or just kind of have some fun and talking of helping them this is amazing there's a weird incident where there's this large mirror that's on the wall that falls off and it could have crushed one of the children but seemed to be invisibly held at 30 degree angle preventing it from landing on one of the children
1: ah okay
0: Now, when Dora and Ted kind of run and get there and hold the mirror, they notice at the top there are two small child handprints on the mirror. As if there was this small invisible child had held it up there until they'd got there.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And they say that after that moment, handprints would then appear or disappear on numerous windows and mirrors. So there's small childs, and they were smaller handprints than any of the children that actually lived in the house, the real children. Right. Um, They would kind of clean off the handprints and then, you know, within a few minutes they'd be back or the next day they'd be back. So after a few months, the apparitions started again. In addition to the regular visitors, the tall woman and various other ones, they started seeing a small sad boy they describe in rags with skin that was a funny yellow colour. Um, Rosa, one of the daughters, describes regularly seeing two angels in her room, but the description sounds almost like a boy and a girl rather than, you know, an angel with wings. I think it's uh-huh. just her description. <laughs> then weird things start happening with telephone calls. Again, we've had this before, right? The phone starts ringing pretty much constantly, day and night. When they pick up the other end of the phone, no one's there. Weirdly, it includes an antique phone that they had, which was not even connected to the phone system. It would start (laughs) ringing. Yeah, we've heard that before, yeah. After all this new activity, Dora finally decides that it's time to leave the house. Dora and Ted start to look for properties online, and once again, the internet fails. They finally put the house on the market, and a real estate agent says that they have a buyer who wants to come and see the property, But the new buyer is concerned that sometimes these old properties are prone to flooding in the basement, and can the family assure them there are no issues there? And Dora's able to confidently inform the estate agent they'd never had a problem. You guessed it, Ben. The family wake up on the morning of the viewing (laughs) to find the basement completely flooded.
1: I have been there, but not
0: through paranormal means, but... Oh, no, that's awful. But you've had your paranormal fabric conditioner. I've had my paranormal fabric conditioner, yes. Um, interestingly, Dora kind of appeals to the spirits to not mess this up for them. She has a kind of chat with them. Reminded me of Ghost, the comedy thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just behave yourself. And lo and behold, this is amazing, as the new prospective buyers arrive, Dora goes into the basement, it's bone dry. <gasps> Oh, nice ghosts. Yeah. Oh. So it all looks like the sale's going through, right? At this point, Dora does start to feel some guilt. A little bit of not informing the new owners about the occurrences in the house, but not that's not really her main motivation because she kind of goes, well, what would I tell them? And again, this feels a bit like this glamour theme I've been picking up on. As Dora seems more concerned about the impact Selling will have on the entities in the house She says I felt somewhat irrational feelings Of sadness and guilt at the thought of leaving I almost felt As if we would be abandoning the spirits Especially those children Who were attached to the location And perhaps somehow lost It felt impossible To simply move away from the house Without doing something to help the spirits Do the same
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm
0: Medium gets involved at this point and starts to make connections with a fire. He says that, you know, there'd been a fire on the property. He says that could explain why the fire alarms keep going off. Um, He says a family may have been killed in the fire, possibly by their alcoholic father accidentally causing the fire when drunk. So then he makes a connection with the beer incident.
1: Aha, uh-huh. right, yeah.
0: Telling the father not to get drunk, not to drink. Again, you know, I don't know, it feels a bit, could be a bit kind of cold reading and just making the facts work for you. I don't know. That's how I felt when I read it. Right, right. Anyway, Dora takes some more advice and decides to clean the house, spiritually speaking, of course. hmm It's time for the old white sage. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for Big Sage. <laughs> uh, the power of Big Sage. Yeah. So after performing the cleaning ritual, which basically her and Ted do themselves, there's quite a lot. I was thinking about this. There's quite a lot where she's talking to paranormal investigators and mediums, and they keep saying we'll come to the house, and she's keeps saying. No, you because it's canada it's like you live so far away we can't afford to pay your travel and all that kind of stuff which felt a little weird to me but then i guess canada is a big place so there might be kind of big but she uh, or whether it's just her wanting to keep it to herself and keep control of it herself but either way it's her and her husband go and bite the white sage do all the cleaning stuff say you know it's time to move on all the stuff that you do um And after they performed the cleaning ritual, the activity completely stopped. Forever? Yep. Oh. The family decided not to sell the house. In fact, they added a swimming pool to the backyard and there is a bit of a kind of tying up thing. Interestingly, while they were digging the hole for the pool, they discovered old scorched earth, suggesting there had been a historical fire on the property.
1: Oh, that's interesting.
0: But nothing of that was any records that she could find about the house. But when they dug the pool, they found it. So there is this thing that they felt it might have been somebody squatting or basically living in the house illegally, so why they wouldn't be on records, because it had these periods of being empty for a long time.
1: I see, I see. And there was nothing that could relate to a fire in that article about the World War One no in the paper. no there's no. no
0: kind of connection that's made back there but she kind of assumes that it might have been the family that family the the man she saw on the porch you know maybe i don't know i don't know there there is no real direct connection made with the world war um articles in the paper and i don't know it, it doesn't say in the book but it does make me feel the family may still be living there today or at least when they wrote the book oh right 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 okay which again is another reason why they don't want to give the location
1: yeah of course of course that's it's so odd that it should go away so quickly but then like it's not odd it's just often uh something hangs around it feels like there was nothing malevolent there it was it was just trying to communicate
0: yeah, I mean the the scariest thing they had really was you know that incident with her husband where she just got a dirty look from a ghost. Basically, that's about as scary as it got. Apart from you know the fact that bizarre stuff is scary, but you know I'm not I'm not you know trying to put down what they're saying. But there was no attacks. There's nothing. Well, apart from the odd beer attack in the face. Well, there's you, not you, much going on, is there? You know what what you were saying there. The, so the ghost was trying to
1: perhaps wake the father maybe it was testing to see if he was like you know drunk to the world maybe that's why yeah, she, yeah that's why it gave her a dirty look yeah like she was trying to work out whether he was safe for the family yeah yeah that's interesting
0: i mean it's an amazing story ben, and there were often often when we're reading these things you'll 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 back me up on this you start to think this all seems too good to be true don't you yes oh yes I, I, there were times when i felt like that but you know, is this some incredible fiction passed off as fact? But there's something about this book that makes me at least maybe just want to believe, but believe. I think if it was fiction passing as fact, I'm not sure it would have been written like it is. I think if you read it, you'll know what I mean. It's quite factual. There's no over-the-top flowery language or purple prose. Mm. It feels like it's written by someone it happened to rather than, pardon the pun, a ghostwriter. writer. Um, now, that could all be some amazing double bluff, but I didn't read it. You know, like when you read creepy Creepypasta and you go, it's creepy Creepypasta, you can tell by the way it's written. So even though the story elements are just so amazing, it's not written in that way. So I guess there's three things. It's either true, it's a work of, you know, a hoax worth of fiction written by a bad writer, <laughs> or it's been deliberately written in a way that kind of makes you feel, no, this is true. But secondly, there's no big reveal that ties everything together, right? The newspaper, the relevance of that is never really established. Apart from the burnt ground, there there's no kind of backstory that can be proved through, you know, reading through archives or anything like that about fire. And none of Dora's research into the property throws up anything other than conjecture there's no history of haunting weird uh, events there there's no history of tragedy do you know what i mean so all that kind of gave it credibility to me. If you're writing a hoax story, I'd feel you tie off more of those loose ends at the end. I mean, they do try with the swimming pool and the medium saying, oh, it's the drunk father and all that, but they don't make a big deal of it. And I didn't read it going, oh, wow, there's the smoking gun. Do you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, I definitely do. And I think also in fiction, there'd be the temptation to uh, to put in a hook, a, um, a protagonist... Uh, throughout, whereas it isn't really. It's just like various touches onto the uh, the phenomenon. It's not like there's one sort of guard guardian of the story, if you see what I mean, which I yeah. think also makes it different. I mean, there's
0: a little bit of that because I think, again, I've not featured it here, but the tall woman with the nurses thing has blonde hair and the child has blonde hair. So there is some suggestion at some point it might be the same person in different stages of their development, you know, as a child and as an adult. But again, it's all very loosely put together that they're, they're not kind of going, it's definitely that, do you know what I mean? Or it could be a family. It could be one person, you know, but then there are these other people coming in. There's talk of portals, obviously with the medium saying it's a portal. Maybe many people are coming through, but there is no, like you said, there is no coherent, Ghostly protagonist, maybe is mm. the way to describe it.
1: Yeah, 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 totally.
0: I mean, the things that really stuck with me were that description of the Victorian ghost in vivid colour, almost high definition. That yeah. that you know that just reading that passage alone made me go, "I never thought about that before," and that must be incredibly weird because it's not your stereotypical view of a ghost. And like she said, when you see Victorian people. You know, there are either pictures that are black and white, sepia tone, or have been artificially coloured. So seeing something in almost high definition in vivid colour must be really weird.
1: Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I you know, you gotta imagine that she definitely saw something. I mean, it's possible you can make that up, of course it is. Um people wrote Star Wars, but um it feels like an odd thing to put in at that juncture in the book
0: yeah yeah Uh, the the incidents with the newspapers really bizarre i don't think i've come across anything like that before i don't know if you have um no the only thing that it made me think of was the doddleston
1: papers um the vertical plane right where papers and newspapers um and images from them are left on tables and they very quickly age right and I've seen that before, but but no, not, not in the same way as
0: you've described. Um, and the beer incident is <laughs> kind of funny, poltergeisty, yeah. almost ridiculous. But, you know, the fact that I was intrigued because I thought... Because at first when I started reading that bit, I thought, oh, yeah, so he's just got a dodgy batch of beer. But the fact that it went on for months and months and months every time he tried. But you're right. Why wouldn't you just put it in a glass? Maybe he didn't get that far. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, It's what a
1: great story. And it's one of the few where it's actually a nice outcome. Nobody's, like, driven to nightmares or anything.
0: Yeah, yeah, or there's some mass murder at the end. You know, it's almost... Do you know what I mean though about being glamoured and charmed? It it almost feels I do. like
1: that. I do. Yeah, it's like maybe the ghost knew that they
0: needed closure. Yes, yes. There was something in it for the ghosts, if you, if you go with the story. Yeah. Well, I definitely give the book a read. Uh it's called Haunted the Incredible True Story of a Canadian Family's Experience Living in a Haunted House. <laughs> it's by Dora L. Williams my kindle copy cost me a fiver i think paperbacks this is in the uk paperbacks for about 22 to 25 quid i think it's also available uh, in the uk on audible as well so if you want to listen to it
1: oh thank you that's fantastic i and really that, enjoyed that and
0: there is a lot more detail than i've covered today i know we've covered some kind of key bits but there is a lot more in the book so it is well worth a read really good
1: yeah yeah oh i love it thank you well I mean, Sage comes to the rescue. I mean, it's Sage keeps coming up again and again and again. Obviously, it came up in Nikki's story, the first show we ever did. Um, we keep talking about getting a proper witch in to talk about
0: this. Yeah, we should do that because I've got no real strong idea of the kind of background and why it's White Sage, why it works. But, you know, it. yeah, I mean, people. People swear by it. <laughs> this yeah. episode is brought to you by Big White Steak. <laughs> Waitrose.com.
1: Yeah. We still haven't had our sponsorship deal from Stadhampton yeah. uh, Farm Shop. <laughs>
0: we're, we're still trying if we're you're listening. we still
1: trying, <laughs> yeah. um, Brilliant. Well, um, I've got something completely mm. different next week. I've started researching it because um, uh, that's what you do when you get time off. Um,
0: and uh, it's... Um, it does it does intersect but it's not about hauntings okay i'll look forward to that that'll be amazing don't think we've got any sherlock stuff because we've both been kind of away but um uh if you have any sherlock holmes experiences let us know i'm desperate to use that music again oh we gotta (laughs) we'll
1: we'll use it next week whichever way um yeah anybody who's had any
0: sherlock experiences get them in we'll do a roundup next week brilliant brilliant um yes and uh Thank you for listening. if you fancy checking us out on patreon like we said patreon dot com forward slash t q m pod um and yeah, keep liking reviewing uh it really really helps us so thank you so much and
1: follow us on Twitter and the facebook yeah or x now isn't it? <gasps> oh x
0: yeah i'm uh I keep, I keep um, thinking we must change the logos on our social media sites to the X ones, you know, where it, on our homepage and yeah. stuff. I, don't, I like the old Twitter logo.
1: I like the old Twitter logo. I'm not a fan of X.
0: No, no. We're not in a James Bond book. She, she, just in case for algorithms, we are massive fans of X. <laughs> ben didn't mean that, honestly. Mm. Honestly, Elon, he didn't mean it. <laughs> We will uh, we'll see you next week on the quantum mechanics. Thanks for listening. Take
1: care, see you next time. Bye-bye.
0: Are you the quantum mechanics?